It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome along to the show. It's the Eurosport Full Throttle Podcast. I'm sat in the commentary box after World Superbikes at Assen. Greg Haynes with you. James Tozen with us. James, welcome to the podcast. It's your debut on this. Thank you very much. What a weekend. I've got an invitation from Eurosport to, uh, to just help out a little bit on the clash when BSB and World Superbikes clashes. And when I got the phone call or the email um, to see if I would be interested in, in helping out, I, I jumped at the chance and and I'm really, really pleased I did. The, the, the whole weekend, well, the whole weekend, Saturday and Sunday that we've been working here in Assen, uh, commentating on all three of the classes, 300, 600s and, and the superbikes, now with three races for superbikes. It's a busy, busy weekend on the commentary, isn't it? Because uh, there is, what, five, six, eight, eight races in total? It's, it's a lot to do. Very busy, and we would normally have Friday free practice as well, but we didn't commentate that this weekend, did we? Because of the schedule, very, very busy times at the moment uh, at Eurosport with the Olympic Games going on in Tokyo as well. BSB happening as well this weekend at Brands Hatch too. First of all, James, we haven't heard from you for a while. How are you? How's life? How's the lockdown been? How's the dreaded rest? It's fused together now, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's been a challenge for the last couple of years, I must admit. I've had... Uh... I've had three operations in the last 18 months trying to get back what I lost with the wrist. I, I crashed in, in Aragon in 2011, so it's 10 years now, and six operations and six recoveries. Not just the operations, the operations are fine, but it's the recoveries from the operations, which is the challenge. And three months, four months down the line off after each of the five operations, I realized I was left, left with severe pain to the level where I couldn't even brush my teeth with, with the arm and the wrist. And everything starts to deteriorate. The muscles in the arm, obviously, is, is one. But your mental health, being living with severe pain and with medication on some occasions after a few of the operations, um, it's been a challenge, a real challenge, to where I had to make the decision with my surgeon on, on fusing it which basically they lock the, the joint out. If you've got problems with the joint, the last resort really is to fuse the joint, which it means it does lock it out. So there's no movement, but then there's no pain. And that's left me um, without much pain at all. And I'm just back in the game again. I feel back in the game again where I don't wake up and the first thing I think about is the pain of the wrist and the last thing. You know, I wake up now without that pain and I can be more enthusiastic just about everything else in life. And it's uh, it's, it's just been a subject for 10 years that I got really bored of. And I'm sure everybody else around me got bored of. But uh, it was um, a necessary challenge that I had to put myself through. I tried my best to get the wrist back uh, moving again so that I could get back to doing things I love doing. But unfortunately, I, we, we've, we've done it and I'm pleased I have because uh, I can move forward now. 
they say, don't they, with motor racing and obviously bike racing in particular, the danger is a big attraction. But we so often see the bad downside of that as well, don't we? Was that your view of things or did you just do it because you love bikes and you love racing or did the fact it was dangerous attract you to it even more? No, I never thought it was dangerous. When you're a rider, um, if you see danger, you wouldn't do it. But that never comes into it because of that fact. And uh, But, you know, you, there, there are multiple times uh, in a 15-year in a uh, career, which uh, nearly 20-year career that I was lucky enough to have, even before the, the, the accident, um, that you find yourself in a hospital and you realise just... Uh, um, not what the dangers are, but what the uh, the ramifications are for getting it wrong. The, you know, the, the, the punishments are pretty severe. You know, the recoveries from injuries, um, you know, the broken bones here and there, you know, the six weeks in a cast or whatever, they're relatively easy to, to, to cope with if you can get back to full fitness and, you, don't, uh, and, you know, you can, you can get back to where you used to be. It's, it's the injuries that are life-affecting or life-changing that are the problems that actually prevent you from being as good as you were or doing the things you used to do as good as you used to do it. And they're, they're the ones that are, 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 you know, because we're a long-time retired sportsman, aren't we? I was only just 30. I mean, I was really young. I had another 10 years at it. And so I didn't, I didn't set myself up for retiring. So that was a difficult thing as well. But any sportsman, really, by the time you're mid-30s, you're starting to think about what you're going to do afterwards. And, you know, living life until you're 80, 90, if not 100 these days, you've got just as much life not doing it yeah. as doing it. If not more. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, um, it's difficult to adapt. When life changes so dramatically, because when you're trying to focus on being the best in the world at something, you can't focus on any other thing in life other than that. So when that's taken away from you and you will look up and it's a bleak old, uh, it's a bleak old uh, view of the horizon because you're not used to that. You, you need something to do. You need something to wake up for because you've been lucky enough to be have the opportunity of being the best in the world. I'm talking about my case really with motorcycle racing, but, but every sportsman, if you're lucky enough to have it as a job, and you're lucky enough to be good enough to be possibly the best in the world at it. When you lose that in your life, it's a big void. Just knowing you as a colleague and a friend, you know, you don't strike me as a selfish person, but do you have to be selfish? Or is it more self-focused to get to the top in bike racing or any sport, I guess? Do you feel you were selfish at any point? Not selfish in a selfish personality as though people would be annoyed by that. Mm, but yeah, but yeah. you have to do things a certain way to get as good as you are to be the best in the world at something. And there's not much room with that system in your life that anything else can come in. So um, I'm sure there's a few ex-girlfriends that might say I'm a little bit selfish. Not in a way that I was inconsiderate selfish, but in a way that you are completely obsessed about what you want to do and achieve every single day. And uh, everything else is, is very much secondary. And I think people around you would feel that they are very much secondary, which is not a nice situation um, for like the girlfriend of, of the time uh, that might be feel like they're, they're pushed out a bit that not, might need a bit more. It's a strong girl, you know, to be the girlfriend of a sportsman yeah. or wife or whatever it is. Uh, they need to be really independent, have their own thing going on, have that inner confidence themselves to allow their boy or girl, whatever way around, because we've got girls races as well, the boyfriends of, um, to allow them to be that way that they have to be like to be the best. And not many girls or boy, boyfriends or girlfriends can can cope with the lack of um, that emotional presence. Yeah, The emotional presence exactly that you, you don't have yeah. when you're focused on something so much can not be enough for some relationships. Mm, Hattie Davis always strikes me as one of the best examples. Chaz's wife. You know, she studied to be a lawyer. She very much has her own career path. She lets Chaz get on with his stuff. She lets, uh, he lets Hattie get on with her stuff. 
There's many other great examples too, of course, but that's one that really comes to mind quickly for me. And yeah, they very much do their own thing and then they enjoy the time they are together. And I guess it then improves the time you are together because you know you're separated quite a lot with this job, especially at the moment with COVID restrictions. And I guess it's the only way you can be, isn't it? Unless you're one of those riders who likes family with you at the circuit. But even that must be tough sometimes when you've got to be in the zone. A girlfriend and boyfriend, wife or husband, whatever it may be, you're two different personalities. And it's difficult to have things in common and to keep that going and to keep on the same page in life as you move through life uh, with different scenarios that happen in your life for it to work mm. in a normal life. Yes. This is just an exaggerated version of the intensities of the focus and the, and, and the ambitions of people that uh, um, is, is, is more it's a more difficult personality to endear to. It is. Because you're not, like I say, you're not emotionally present as much as you should be or yeah. can be in normal life. Yeah. And that can be quite a lonely place for the other person. They do say it's lonely at the top, don't they? There's that phrase, it's lonely at the top. It is because when you're on that treadmill of doing things to be the best, it's, um, it's, it's, it's such a structured, calculated, obsessive compulsive way of living to keep that going. And that's why it's tough at the top, because you've got to keep that going. And all the rest of life's enjoyable scenarios that we could slip into with the things we all know um, aren't possible. Yeah. You have to have that discipline. And that discipline sometimes can be a little bit rigid. I can completely relate to that. And I'm not a two-time World Superbike champion and multiple podium finisher and race winner like you are. But I have been away on a lot of weekends and most social stuff in inverted commas, normal life happens on weekends, doesn't it? Because most people work Monday to Friday. So naturally, we're away. We love our jobs here, commentating or riding. But you're missing, you know, family barbecues or weddings or whatever might be going on. So yeah, it's a, it's a, you're sacrificing one thing for something else, aren't you? Yeah. And depending on how many races there are, like the Superbikes has 13 rounds. Yeah. You know, imagine MotoGP 21 yeah. rounds. Yeah. Or doing, Possibly 22 you know, or 23. I do some BSBs and World Supers. So it's... 20 weekends a year easily at yeah. least and you're missing in MotoGP paddock you're missing even more of those occasions yeah. and subconsciously what happens is or understandably what happens is your home life does dilute uh, very much so uh, to where your 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 roots and your inner circles and uh, the, those friendship groups that you have and what they do you've got to try You've got to try a lot to keep within them. And I, I always had, I, personally, I always based it on if I was with my friends and I got what they were talking about, I knew I was okay. It's when you're with your school friends and you've lost things in common with your school friends that you've got to have a look in the mirror yeah. because that's who you are. If you're sat with your school friends and you're looking around going, oh, what are they on about? Yeah. This is such like insignificant things that they're talking about. I need to think about winning again. I need to think about beating Johnny Ray. I need to think, you know, this is just rubbish. Right? You've got to be careful with that. Pull yourself back from thinking those. As intense as you want to be with your career and who you want to be, always come back down to worth to the point where your family and your friendships and what they've got going on, because the conversations that people have, normal people have, are so far from the norm from your life and your world make an effort to make sure that you don't, you don't veer off too far from that. I think we've all realised that, haven't we, with what's happened over the last 12, 18 months as well with the pandemic, when we've all been stuck at home, many of us on our own at times, even if you have family nearby, 
you can't always get to them because we've not been able to go out. We've not been able to travel at times. You know, even traveling from one town to another where I live in Spain, usually, I mean, the UK for most of this year, but you couldn't even go out from one town to another. You weren't allowed to move. There was local lockdowns. There was a curfew at 10 o'clock. You're almost imprisoned in your own home. I think we've all realized even more than before who and what is most important to us. Yeah, it is. And, and really just kind of make sure that you don't lose that connection. You are going to be sat there on the sofa at your parents' house and you are going to listen to your mum and dad or your mum and stepdad or whatever, whatever the scenario is in your household and they are going to be talking about Coronation Street as though it's real life, right? Mm. right? And you're going to sit there. And you I go, quite like that sometimes yeah, though because yeah. it's a break from everything. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to look at them going, oh my God, <laughs> is this really my reality? Is this what it's come to? <laughs> but that is reality. It and is. You, and you've yeah. got to love that. Yeah, you have. You know, yeah. you, you've, got to, you've got to go back to the Peter K kind of making fun of how we are yeah, and how we live yeah. life yeah. sometimes and enjoy it because if you remove yourself from it too much and you just engross yourself too much in what you do as your career of all yourself, you can find yourself in a lonely place. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Whether it's discussions at home, you know, which biscuits have you bought this week or the Peter K, as you say, I've dropped my biscuit in my tea sort of thing. But it's a nice refreshing break because we do live, we're not complaining, are we, James? But it's a very intensive life, isn't it? When you're intense, sorry, when you're, you know, involved in bike racing, you're fully focused on what you're doing. You know, today we've been commentating, focused on a screen and again, brilliant races, but you're, you're not aware of what's happening around you in the world, are you? You're fully focused on that race. Um, so it's nice to be sort of brought back down to earth, I think. It is, it is. And that, you know, on a personal note, that's why I love being able to play the piano, you know, mm. because I used to go home after a race, sit down, and the piano was the reset button for me. I used to sit down, just play the piano, just softly. I never used to play hard on, on, on the piano when I was racing because it, I knew that it did just calm me down. And everybody will have their thing to, to, to bring them down, how to calm down. Johnny Ray might be to just go to, with his boys and he's, he's, he's just play with the kids and on the bikes or whatever and that because you need a distraction. Yeah. It's very intense, this sport. It's 200 miles an hour plus. It's very, very intense and it's very dangerous. And we don't need any more of an example of that than this weekend. We've lost one in the junior championship with Hugo and we've got one critical in the hospital in intensive care uh, with Brad Jones so it's uh, we don't need we're not very we're never too far from being reminded just how intense this sport is um, but that's what makes it so brilliant and that's what makes it so intense like you say because it is yeah without going too deep that's when the almost surreal world of bike racing or motorsport and the travel and everything else hits home isn't it when something like that happens I remember being at Laguna Seca in 2015 and we lost two Spanish riders. Bernat Martinez and Danny Rebas were involved in a horrible crash off the start, up through turn one at Laguna Seca. I remember saying to my colleagues, James, at the time, cool, I just think we're here on a Sunday evening in California. Somebody's phone's going to be ringing in the early hours of the morning back in Spain to hear some awful news. And that's all of a sudden when the sort of magic of bike racing hits home, isn't it, with a horrible reality. And that's the ugly side of our sport. It is. It is. A parent should never lose a child just in, 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 in any walk of life. And you can see there is no raw pain of seeing a human being with that bereavement and that loss of that scenario. You know, my heart goes out to, to, to the parents and friends of every single person that we've lost from the Nikki Hayden, one of the most high profile, obviously. Hugo and, and, and Brad this weekend, it doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how famous you are, to a mom and a dad, it's all relevant and it's, it's heartbreaking. But sport and life, you have to live. 
you have to follow your passions. You have to, um, you can't live with fear. You have to be careful in some scenarios, but you have to follow your heart. You have to follow your ambitions. You have to follow the goal. You have to believe in something. We have to wake up to something. And motorcycle racing, well, there is nothing on this planet that will give you more of a buzz, more of a thrill, nothing more to kind of feel like you're alive. I think the closer to death that we come with whatever we do, the more alive we feel. And that's what motorcycle racing is. Really well put, James. Yeah, and we got quite deep there, didn't we? But I think it's important sometimes to remember that because uh, that danger is never far away, is it? And sometimes in the junior categories, you see some of the kids taking some risks and you realize they don't quite realize quite how dangerous it is. You know, we saw it this afternoon, didn't we, in the Supersport 300 race uh, we were commentating on. Uh, and I think it's quite good, actually, to be reminded of that danger sometimes, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. It's, it's an awful. Uh, it's an awful conclusion to 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 obviously what we 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 know are the, could be the consequences. Yeah. But um, we we just have his fingers crossed that it doesn't happen too often. And uh, it's been a bad. Uh, it's been a bad weekend for it, uh, hasn't it? So uh, um, we just uh, we hold everything crossed for, for for Brad that he pulls through in whatever fashion. And uh, um, I know it's a serious injury to his head and his pelvis and his uh, um, his. Uh, um, his uh, is mid area I think has got some damage as well because the bike actually landed on top of him as, as he landed so um, it's um, it's a critical uh, condition situation for Brad and uh, yes we, uh, we we can only uh, we can only pray and hope we certainly can all our thoughts with uh, with Brad Jones his family and friends and also of course with the rider we tragically lost at the European Talent Cup uh, young uh, Hugo Milan who was actually teammates with uh, Casey O'Gorman who uh, Matt Roberts and Shaky Burner working closely with, and Casey himself is recovering at the moment from a very nasty accident back at Knock Hill. So, yes, our thoughts and prayers, as you say, James, are with everyone involved there. Some lovely scenes, I thought, this afternoon at Assen in particular, when we had Locatelli and Ray and Redding up there throwing things into the crowd. That's what sport should be about, happiness and joy and bringing people together. Without the crowds, it's a glorified test. And it just does not have the show. The fans make a show as much as the riding does, as much as the racing does. Yeah. It is 50-50. Okay, we're, we're all excited to watch how amazing these riders do what they do on a motorcycle at such speeds. And it is, we've just pointed out the dangers and what is at risk and what those boys are putting on the line. It's an incredible sport to watch because of that. But the fans and the noise and the enthusiasm of the fans, it does give that atmosphere to the riders and the appreciation that the riders get for what they've just put on the line. It's all part of it. And we got that back, didn't we, at Assen? Johnny Ray doing the triple. The, is the record score around now, Assen? Was, was that the 14th or the 13th? I know we got 13, but was that, was that the 14th race too? Or was uh, that the 13th? Let's remember, he was on... Thir he was tied with Foggy, wasn't he, coming into the weekend? Were they on 12 or 13? I think they were on... He, uh, no, he went to 13 to beat Foggy. That's right. So was 14. That the so, he, he's on, was that... so he's on 15 now. No, 14. Is I he think, 14 yeah, now? I think it was 14. Anyway, yeah. 14. Well, 14 he, was, he was equal with Foggy coming into the weekend. I mm. can't remember if that's they were 12. on... 12. Right, so he's gone 13, 14, 15, he's on. 15 and 92 with Kawasaki. Uh, fifth career double, a treble rather. Well, three trebles already then, James. And we only started with three races in 2019. The man is something quite sensational, isn't he? He is. The consistency of him, we were looking at the stats, even from his beginnings in <laughs> World Superbikes, he's got a 62% uh, podium Including all ratio. the Honda years. Yes. Difficult yeah. times. From yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. 199 podiums. 199 podiums. I had 201 races in total 
in my career. Yeah. So if you if you if you've got a few years under your belt, you'll you'll know how many races I had as a superbike rider. I was pretty established in this championship. While Johnny Ray's finished on the podium, in more or less all of those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> incredible. I mean, in fairness to you, of course, as Johnny would point out himself, they have three races per weekend now. But yeah. even so, only for it, the last three years, is it? True. Yeah, yeah, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. We should do look at the percentages, shouldn't we, before the next round and see whose winter starts percentage. Usually Ben Spees comes out on top because he only did one season mm. and it was a really dominant one. Yes, of course, 2009. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but this, you know, Bayliss is usually high. Jonathan Ray is obviously very mm. high up. Um, and yeah, we'll have to work that out. Edwards, yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah, the... Um it's it, it I, I, we've run out of superlatives for him because he's six-time champion and, and the consistency that he does have. I mean, it's like a Marco Marquez or a Valentino Rossi. There's a you, you're trying to think of of of, of different ways of, of of saying how good he is, um, and it is what we were just talking about before that obsessive compulsive routine and concert uh, and, and OCDness that he has with his routine. That is why he's so great. I, I knew it was on for a good year with how fast that new Kawasaki was in the pre-season testing. Yeah. It was straight onto what lap record pace. Yeah. Like, and, and a brand new bike usually takes at least two or three tip tests. And maybe the first couple of rounds are a bit iffy. But when that bike was straight onto lap record pace at the first test, I thought, oh, here we go. If, uh, if this bike's better than the other one and is a six times champion, the boys have got something to uh, to. to live up to but you know it's been on pole position in every race as well greg and how much better will it get then because this is just yeah. starting its yeah. development cycle. good point good point it's 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 uh i mean look at the uh the honda it's still trying to find a base setting and look at the hype around that when hrc came back into the championship how good yeah. that was supposed to be yeah. and look how far they are still yeah from being that good well that's a good point actually then james let's move on to honda we've got five manufacturers so let's just touch on all of them quickly it's great to get your opinions on them all you know having just come in as a commentator with eurosport this year obviously you've worked in motor gp before with bt uh, but honda with hrc okay we said they need more testing time there's new restrictions on testing this year but like you say Kawasaki have got a new bike as well. I, I suppose, is it fair to say that that's more an evolution of their previous bike, whereas the Honda is quite new? The Honda was brand new, wasn't it? Yeah. The whole the whole engine unit and the, and the chassis and everything They're was not really brand new. proper data from before, really. No, but it is HRC. Yeah. You know, let's not underestimate that's HRC. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think it could be a culmination of serious problems with MotoGP. Not forget how yeah. difficult a period it's been, yeah. especially with Mark Marquez's injury. Mm. There's been nobody else, really. And Paul Espargaro has shown just how difficult it is to ride that Honda coming from KTM. Everybody thought that he would be at least a, a second runner if Marquez was first, because Paul Espargaro and Mark Marquez go back years of where they were really, really close all through their career. Yeah. And look how much... Oh, look at, even, even at like Saxon Ring where Mark Marquez won um, with with one and a half arms, let's be honest. Um, it just shows you just how much a better rider Mark Mark is that, uh, rider that, than everybody else. And because of Mark Mark's injury and nobody else could get anywhere close to, to the podium, you'd have to say all HRC's efforts have been trying to get that bike more rideable for more riders. Can't just be for Mark Marquez. You can't put all their eggs in one basket, and that might have been to the detriment of uh, of World Superbikes. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, people. It does all come out the same base, doesn't it? They're just outside Barcelona, and it's the same place. You know, it's the HRC MotoGP team on one side, Superbike on the other side, and there's quite a lot of overlap. Some people working between both. Uh, it's believable, isn't it? You can imagine that might be the case. People did say that though, didn't they? You know, God forbid if anything happens to Marquez, if he gets hurt. 
they're putting their eggs in one basket, what would happen? It's actually quite similar with Kawasaki and Jonathan Ray in some ways, isn't it? You don't always see the other Kawasaki finishing second to Jonathan Ray, whether it's Alex Lowe's now or Haslam before or Sykes. It's a similar sort of situation, isn't it? They're going, they're following the path of their dominant rider, which you can understand. Yeah, and the problem with Kawasaki, or the risk in Kawasaki with well, Super Bike, he hasn't got that satellite team anymore. You know, oh, you remember when Top Rack was uh, was winning and on the podium, Pachetti, with Pachetti. Yeah. they haven't got that. So yes, you're right. They'll be very, very, very. Uh, uh, you know, they'll be crossing their fingers that nothing happens to Johnny. That's for sure because uh, Alex Lowe's doesn't look like he's a championship contender by far. You know, he's he's doing okay, but he's uh, he's, he's certainly not knocking on the door and challenging Johnny. Never mind Scott Redding um, or uh, um, the the. Um, the other Ducati rider, uh, uh, Michael Rinaldi. Uh, Rinaldi, sorry, um, and Top Rack, uh, and now even Locatelli. You know, so yeah. Alex Lowe's is, uh, is is not a safe uh, a plan B for Kawasaki if anything happens to Johnny. Well, that's Honda and Kawasaki. Let's talk quickly about BMW, then we'll move on to the uh, Ducati struggles in some ways this weekend, and, and some of the Yamaha talking points. There's some incredible stories there. BMW, then I reckon after Donington and. You can call me cynical. I know you won't because I think you agree with this one, but some people might. But I just think with BMW, you have to give them a bit of time to see what the situation is. Donington was good, but they've had a very ordinary asset, haven't they? And it's been reflected in Michael Vandermark's behavior in particular. He was so furious on Friday. And just like you say, Vandermark's reaction to whatever the problem was, to, yeah. to smash your screen, you need, it, you need to give it a proper wallop, right? So the frustration in Vandermark to be able to do that and then storm out the garage. He had a really, really strong race one. He was coming, wasn't he? In fourth place, but he was really like starting to edge. Yeah. So his lap times were very, very strong. Yeah. But what you can't delete is the ambience from that level of uh, um, d uh, this. Um, uh, what's what, what's the words I'm looking for? The, the, the level the level of disappointment from the riders mm. shown to the team of what they are capable of doing to give them a bike that they want. That doesn't go away no. for the whole weekend. And also that one, just to cut in, apologies there, that was a very public display show of, display of uh, disappointment and anger, wasn't it? It wasn't like getting annoyed in a briefing behind the scenes. That was on television. It was live. The grandstand could see it. All the viewers on the TV could see it. The whole pit lane could see it. I'm not saying he did it on purpose. He pre-planned that, but he could have kept a bit calmer, couldn't he, and got angry after it's almost as though they want people to show that, you know, we need to get our act together now. That's the feeling you get anyway. And that doesn't come mm. from that incident solely. Exactly. It's a build-up, isn't it? That must be a build-up. Yeah. So if that's a build-up, then obviously Vandermark and his team aren't working very well together at all mm. because to show that level of, 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 of you know, of, of anger towards your bike, to break the screen, means that's happened many, many times before that because you don't do that on the first mistake. No, no, of course. Because surely your bike should be your friend, not your enemy. You don't want to break your bike, damage your bike, do you? You yeah. want to, it's your friend, you're in this together. And if that is the, the vibe within the team, then I'm not surprised that they are just doing okay. Mm, mm. Doing very well. Because the vibe of the team is the ultimate confidence builder. If you walk into that back of that garage and you look at the bike and look at the boys on that bike and you know that they are sharp... And you're not going to ride a bike with no problems. 99%. There's always going to be issues. It's technical, you know. There's a lot yeah. to go wrong. Yeah. But to have that reaction to it, 
there means there's a lot of mistakes happening in that in that garage to where you lose the confidence in everybody. If you lose the confidence in the team or they lose the confidence in you, it's very difficult to claw that back. And that show of uh, uh, the, of, of of discontent from from Vandermark this weekend will take a while to repair. Saw Tom Sykes having an incident as well, didn't we? Just coming through to the last lap in race two on uh, Sunday afternoon. Let's go to Ducati then, shall we? First of all, a very emotional Scott Redding. In many ways, I really like how Scott wears his heart on his sleeve because you like to see the emotion going into your racing. On the other hand, do you have to have a certain level of separation? And again, this maybe comes back to the selfish side of a racer, but impossible I, to put myself in that situation, James. I can't lie, but with Brad Jones being a best mate of Scott Reading, it must have been very, very difficult uh, this weekend, Sunday in particular, how on earth do you separate that, though, when you're out on track? How do you sort of have to forget what's happening off the track to focus on the track? I can't imagine how challenging that must be mentally. It is challenging, and it's, it's, it's relatively easy, you know, at full speed. Is it? As we saw, he got a really strong second place, didn't he, Scott? True, yeah. You know, yeah. As soon as he crossed the line, as soon as he calmed down a bit, then the emotions flooded through because yeah. the intensity of riding a full race and finishing second again to Johnny and the points difference now is over, I think, 80 points that he's behind. You've got to say that Scott Redding's championship is pretty much over already, you know, unless Johnny gets injured, which we don't want. Um, so I think the realisation and that sinking in to Scott that he's not able to yet again in the second year beat Johnny Ray when he was so up for trying to do it to have that realization so early in the year of the second year is devastating, devastating. And I think that the culmination of that and unfortunately is his friend that he cycles with, with Brad Smith. Um, it just got a bit too much for him and you could see that. And uh, Brad, Brad Jones, Brad Jones, sorry, yeah, Brad Jones. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, he just got a bit too much for him and, uh, it's, um, uh, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm, he'll reset again and he'll put his helmet back on again and get back on a bike again and uh, we'll do it all again in the future. Um, but uh, a lot of emotion coming through him and too much emotion is not helpful to get into that zone where you need to clear your head to be as consistent, as precise and as fast as Johnny Ray is. So he needs to, uh, he needs to be able to cope with this quickly before the next race. Can you ever remember having a, a personal grievance or something that really got to you in a race? And, and if so, how did you actually deal with it? How did you put it, you know, to one side? I lost my teammate, unfortunately, when I was 17 years old, Mikel Paquet in Castrol Honda. I broke both my ankles on Friday and, and he was killed on Saturday in qualifying. And that was a horrible realisation of the consequences of what we were doing out there, especially to my mum, you know, never mind Mikel's mum, obviously, much worse. But to my mum, I was in the same garage as Michael. My, you know, my mum was then like waving me off, not waving me off, she wanted me to stop um, to the next race, knowing it's that close to home. Those scenarios was, was really, really difficult. And, you know, I didn't qualify at the next race after that. I didn't even qualify. I was out of the 107, I was still quite injured with the ankles, but still I was out of the 107% qualifying bracket and just to put this into perspective of anyone who wasn't following at the time had you been very competitive that year up until that point not not overly but i was certainly in the top 15 you know and uh, and scoring points um that's for sure but and a couple of times i think um but, uh, 
But no, the Castrol Honda with the Michelins at that on that in that ninety eight ninety nine, it wasn't overly the most competitive package, and it was difficult still. But to, um, no, to not qualify was uh, huge 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 disappointment psychologically and, and i had to really dig deep to to keep the belief that i was able to to be a world-class rider really difficult remember derek warwick who was a former touring car driver former formula one driver and a world sports car champion he lost his brother paul warwick uh 1991 this was at alton park in a really horrible accident and i remember derek saying he woke up one morning at three or four in the morning i think he was in a hotel doing a test somewhere he'd had a terrible day looked in the mirror you know hadn't slept all night and almost had to have a chat with himself and say, right, you need to make a decision here. You either stop this now or you park this, lock it away in a box somewhere in your head and, and get on with it. And that's what he did. And he went on to win the Le Mans 24 hours. Very emotional uh, win there. I guess that's the sort of thing you have to do, isn't it? I, it must it be is. so difficult though. Very military. Yeah, very disciplined. Very military. Yeah, you've you've yeah. got to go out there and you've lost one of your comrades, unfortunately. But that's the gig you signed up for. That's the mentality that you've got to have. Can you remember having that chat with yourself then, thinking, I'm going to have to just lock this away now, sort of thing? No, I didn't. I, th I, think, I, think, um, I think subconsciously those, those uh, coping mechanisms were, 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 were ticking along. Can't, I, can't ever I can't ever remember having the, the, the fatality of my teammate being a problem I had to get over. Right, okay. It was more my injuries I had to get over. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure the, uh, the, the, the stark realisation of what had happened to my teammate was part of it. But, um, but it, it, it didn't worry me about moving on from that. It worried me more that I was physically going to be able to ride. It's that military way of thinking. You've got to block it out. You're, you go out to war, you know, with racing. You go out to war and we lose people. But so be it. That's, how, that's, what, that's what we do. You know? And that's the consequence of it. No problem. Because I'm prepared to take that challenge. I'm, I'm prepared to yeah. take that challenge on yeah. and I'm prepared to sacrifice that. I mean, if any son or daughter would actually say out loud that that's what they're entering this, this game with, it would be difficult, wouldn't it, for a parent to know that that's the... You know, I not really imagine it, to be honest. Every rider on that grid, girl or boy, whatever, it is, is, is going to be a world class, a world level, You've got to go in with that mentality. Yeah, it's, I have to say, James, it's a fascinating insight just to understand how racist tick. And everyone's obviously quite different. Everyone's a bit different depending on where you've come from and your background and your family. But it's more or less that same mentality for everybody, isn't it? Okay, well, going back to Ducati, then just a really quick shout out for Chas Davis. I thought he did really well this afternoon to get up to fourth in race two, despite the shoulder injury. Uh, Michael Rinaldi, I still think he's a star of the future, don't you? I mean, another really aggressive move on top rack in the sprint race to shoot through to the lead, just like he did at Mizano. He's coming. Let's move on to Yamaha then, because that's, I guess, the most discussion points for this Aston weekend for 2021. Kota Nazani back in action. Um, did all right, I thought. Did quite well, actually, considering he was still in pain with his finger. Then you've got the others, haven't you? Where do we start? Garrett Gerloff and Toprak Razgatioglu. Toprak, a bit of trouble in qualifying. Uh, did really well under pressure. Didn't need to get a good lap in, just as Jonathan Ray did, having had a lap taken away. We'll have to talk about turn one of the final race, I think. I do feel sorry for Garrett Gerloff, I have to say, and obviously for Toprak Razgatioglu. What went wrong for Gerloff there? What did he do wrong? 
I know what he's done right. He put pen to paper for that one extra year deal for Yamaha, didn't he? Before what's just happened, certainly did. He certainly did. <laughs> that will be a but relief. That, I was going to say that's a big relief. Yeah. Bless him. Yeah. And, I, and I'm saying that with um, with sympathy. <laughs> yeah. He, the 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 ideas of the problems that we kind of came to a conclusion with with the different grid position, yeah. um, with 27 meters further forward on the grid instead of being at the back of the grid gives a whole new start procedure to what you've been used to for the last two races. He was much close to the first one. Take it a bit of um, an example of the triple jump. You know when the triple jump jumpers put a bit of tape yes. as markers yes. to get precision of when they do the different things yeah. and they have to hit the marks. Same in racing. And it is such a knife edge. And when you hit the brakes at Assen into that first corner, which is in a dip and it's tight, you've got to be accurate. And to start 27 meters earlier, imagine a, imagine a triple jumper starting a meter in front and then trying to hit the same mark. Same, same problem. Same problem. So it's, uh, I feel for him, it's not a, it's not a big enough excuse to, for the mistake that he made. He will know that. He's a, he's a straight-talking Texan, and he will take that on board, and he will take the flag and take that on the chin. And he'll, he'll take responsibility for what he's done, that's for sure. And he even hit the gravel, didn't he? You know, because yeah. you could see with the ride through, he got to his head and he made a big mistake, you know. And that was all to do with the uh, the devastation. He, he could see his head, uh, he'd have held his hand, head. In no, his I mean, hand. when he came through the pit lane, like you say, yeah, he was um, inconsolable, wasn't he? Because not only has he done it again, he's been involved in a few incidents this year, he's done it with the worst possible person it could have been, his mate. Yamaha's title contender, Toprek Rescatioglu. Leading the championship before this round. Yeah, it was actually similar. I meant to say during the race that it was very similar, actually, to what happened to Jorge Lorenzo at that corner in MotoGP when Bautista took him out. Do you remember in 2012? I do. I do. Similar incident. Um, but yeah, the poor old Garrett. You can only feel sorry for him, can't you, there? Because it is a bottleneck. You know, the first corner, it's in a dip. Right? Yes. So, yeah. so what happens is with the camber of the right-hand side and the left-hand side, because it is positive camber, and the lot are here at Assen. But what that does is the camber actually pushes everybody into the same spot. Right, okay. Yeah, so it's like you, water through a funnel. Exactly that. Yeah. And if you put water on this track, it will all just trickle yeah. into the same spot. Yeah. We were delayed this morning because of the hairpin. We were. For exactly that reason. Yeah, it was it out, just put it? the water right on the apex and, and start to puddle. Yeah. And that's what it does to the riders. It puts everybody in the same place at that point in that corner. And when you've got 20, well, there's about 18 today, wasn't there? So, but uh, when there's 20 riders going in there plus all trying to hit that, well, all forced to be in that spot, it can get a bit naughty. At least Toprak's okay, because had he been injured there, that would have been an absolute disaster, wouldn't it? On the other side of the Pata Garage, um, they'd had some real disappointment when Toprak and Locatelli were pushed back for track limits. Let's actually quickly talk about that. I know those are the rules, and we saw it with Jeffrey Baus. He was clearly on the green area, coming through uh, the right-handers in the last race today in Supersport 300. Fair enough. You have to say, though, the top rack and Locatelli one, and I've pretty much everyone at Eurosport had the same opinion, didn't they? James Hayden, Shaky Byrne, James Whittam, and yourself. No advantage seemed to be gained there. It was, it, they were hardly on the green area, were they, coming through that chicane? Let's just say first off the bat, rules are rules. Yeah. Right. We're in a dangerous sport here, mm. so rules have to be adhered to. So yes. I'm not going to... Um, sit here and say that, uh, that the decisions were wrong because as the rules go, they weren't. Mm. But if you have an element of experience of racing motorcycles and watching what they do, if those two Yamahas were on the curb 
not off the curb, the results would have stayed exactly the same. Mm. Rinaldi didn't lose out mm. because they were off the curb. They didn't 100%. retain their position by doing what they did. Exactly that. So 100%, even if they had not made those infringements, the result would have been the same. That's why I think that decision was wrong. If you did that in qualifying, you would have probably been about 0.1 of a second quicker on that lap because you cut it a little bit. 0.2 maybe, right? So absolutely, cut that lap off, that lap's deleted, like we've seen qualifying quite a bit. Yeah. But at that last corner, that last chicane, as those riders came out, if they were that uh, six inch either side, the result would have still been the same. So the penalty for me was too harsh. But the rules are the rules. They touched the green and they were penalised. So, true. you know, you've got to leave it at that because if we're going to blur the lines, where do you stop? Well, that is true, isn't it? And I suppose you could also argue and the stewards panel and race direction might argue, okay, yeah, but if you did that every lap and gained a tenth every lap, you've gained, what, two seconds over race distance? Yep. And I suppose you could also say if there was grass or gravel there, okay, the punishment would be harsher, but are we then going to have more riders getting hurt and, and this serious what it, this accidents? what it deletes. Yeah. It deletes this. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, if me, uh, me auntie had uh, <laughs> testicles, she'd be my uncle, you know? I don't know if I can say that. Apologies if you get offended. But, no, no, you know, it's fine. That's, that's the podcast. It. It's the podcast. That's the, I can um, see something good is coming there from the look <laughs> of your face. But that's the kind of chat that these rules yeah. try and avoid. Yes. And that's important. Yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? You'd rather have an angry rider or a disappointed rider being penalised than an injured rider, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay, what about Locatelli, though? Because he scored his first podium today, twice. We thought he got it in the sprint race, got dropped down, and he did bounce back. Not only did he do that, though, he led race two. He pushed Jonathan Ray. He forced Jonathan to push harder. He kept up with him for a couple of laps after being overtaken. He made him look like a season pro. It's only his first world superbike season. It's incredible. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really good point because he, he didn't just finish on the podium. He challenged for a win. And usually a rookie's first podium is where a couple of riders fall off in your fifth and then you get third. Mm. That's what happened to me <laughs> when I was 21. <laughs> where and was I, that? And I must thank Neil Hodgson and Noriyuki Haga <laughs> for doing so <laughs> with about three There you go, Hodgson, if you listen. He was here. Oh, right, in Asin, so. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah, it was very convincing, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Convincing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and also you could see how he used his head because Johnny definitely had a couple of tenths of lap on him but even when he was pulling away you could see he was trying to keep with him but you could see he didn't make those mistakes but even though the first podium was cancelled you can't take away the confidence yeah because it's like in his head then as Freddie Spencer was telling me when we commentated together three years ago you've got to believe that you deserve to be there just as much as the next man and it's like oh right not only do I believe it I know I can do it now you took the trophy off him in that event yeah. didn't take the confidence away yeah. and the belief. And that carried on, didn't it, into race two? Yeah. I'll be very surprised, not consistently on the podium, yeah. but consistently top six now because of that. We're going to two brand new tracks in the next two, aren't we? So it's going to be yeah. difficult to... Yeah. Uh, but that might be an advantage because the, uh, the experienced guys haven't got the experience of the track knowledge and all the rest of it on him. So who knows? Yeah. He could win the next four, five, six... It's going to be fascinating, actually, isn't it, to have two new venues. Okay, some of them have tested at, pretty much everyone, actually, has tested at Navarra now. Hardly anyone, superbike-wise, has tested at Moss. Some supersport teams have, and 300 teams, but not superbikes, uh, unless they do before we get there. But even so, it's going to be unknown. We don't know what the weather's going to do. Different tracks. It's going to be brilliant, isn't it? There's going to be some strange results. It's going to be brilliant, I think, from an entertainment point of view. I'm pleased I've come here first, though. 
yeah, get, to yeah. get my feet under the table and yeah. do do a full commentary weekend with you and uh, see how it all works and see how much commentary there is, how many races there are, the riders, the numbers, the nationalities, the podium. There, there, there <laughs> there's a lot so of riders, much, aren't there? Oh, God, there's so much information to take on board. <laughs> and if I was doing this on a brand new track, I didn't even know. Yeah, true. You know, at least true. I can tell you That's true. what to do, when to do around here. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Because I'm pretty confident. I've had yeah. enough success around here to, to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but Marston Navarra, is, it's going to be a whole different kettle of fish, which is going to be talking points for us. It's going to be interesting. And I think it will bring that, um, that, uh, that, 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 that lack of knowledge will tap into a brand new thing for us both on the commentary to bring a bit of a different aspect without that experience we've got. One more question before we hear from the top three and then uh, I'll let you go, James, because we kept you for a while. Um, great to have you with us on the podcast, though. Full throttle here from Eurosport. We'll be back uh, with another one as well. So many superbike rounds coming up over the next few weeks. We'll be at Thruxton, by the way, next week for BSB. Um, how do you find the actual broadcasting of the sport? Does it give you? Because I know the buzz I get from live TV and from commentary, and it's it's just tremendous. I guess it can't match the buzz of riding and racing a bike, but <laughs> you do seem to get that buzz as well. I mean, it's quite exciting, isn't it? It's incredible. There isn't. I know I'm biased, but there isn't a better sport out there. <laughs> mm, of course it's not. Of course it's not. Uh, but I am. I am really biased because I've done it. You know, I've 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 gone down the straight at 220 miles an hour. I've, I've won races in front of 126,000 people at Brands Hatch with air horns and, and stripping off to my underpants uh, with all the 126 <laughs> people going absolutely what, what crazy. What does that actually feel like, by the way, being almost naked in front of millions on the TV? Did, what, you how know, does I, that feel? To Do be you... honest, you don't think of that. <laughs> you think of just uh, the, the enjoyment of someone like going to get the, the, your leathers after winning. Yeah, you don't, you don't think of the consequences. You're going to be stood naked, half naked on the podium. Um <laughs> And then the embarrassment when, afterwards. Obviously. I was going to say, when you got back to the paddock and the adrenaline had dropped, do you say, oh my God, what am, I, what am I doing? You walk in the motorhome yeah. and you catch yourself in the moon and you go, hang on a minute, I've been walking around like this for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, but it's, it is. It's an incredible sport, uh, Greg, and, and, and I'm pleased <laughs> you've... Um, uh, it, it was a difficult time for me the last 10 years with the post-traumatic stress disorder from from being retired through an injury. It, I And... and it's taken a long time for me to be enthusiastic about anything, never mind racing again, because it's been difficult to come back to the paddock and be okay with not doing it anymore and look from the outside in and enjoy it because it is a great sport. And I'm really, really pleased this weekend. I felt a lot more like myself that I can naturally enjoy talking about it and watching it without the hurt of not doing it. Mm. which is nice no that's really nice and uh, I'm delighted you feel like that James it has been an absolute pleasure to work with you let's quickly listen in then to the top three from this afternoon's race two a very pleased Locatelli a very emotional Scott Redding and an overjoyed Jonathan Ray I'm sure they caught up with Charlie Hiscott Andrea massive congratulations your first damn podium that must feel amazing yeah it's I don't know if it's an amazing day, it's a dream day, it's everything. Because it's, uh, the podium in Superbike is very... I'm very I'm very happy because we work so hard this weekend. Uh, we arrive here with the focus because I'm sure we can improve every race. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, no more. Yeah, but uh, we work, I repeat, we work very well. We try... Uh, a different solution respect the another rider with a tire in the end i finished the race but uh, in the limits but this is normal uh, we need to understand also um for the next time but uh, i we, we i think is uh, incredible 
weekend. And uh, I'm really happy because also I make it uh, the podium here in Assen. Hey, what's really amazing is I don't know much about tyres, but your one's absolutely knackered. He'd done well just to finish the race on that, didn't you? Yeah, maybe if we need to make some some laps, uh, maybe I can I can finish because I completely destroyed. Yeah, the temperature of the asphalt is for try to use this tyre, but maybe the wind and the air is not so cold, uh, sorry so hot. And for this, uh, we broken the the tyre uh, in the last lap. Uh, it's so difficult to ride in, but we try and uh, to, we get a podium. Yeah. Brilliant job, well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's got a second place. Great ride there. How was it? Yeah, it was okay. I just struggled in the beginning. You know, the first corner is like skittles all the time. People just go in there. Um, and it took me a little bit to get the rhythm. Um, and also, like, the front tyre when I'm behind, I get too much temperature. So until I got clear track, I couldn't make any ground. I was suffering. And then it sort of clicked, and I started to go forward then. Um, I just rode my heart out, basically, you know. Um, difficult. I thought I was going to catch him. I pushed everything <laughs> everything to the last lap. Um, but, no, I really raced today for Brad because it's... <laughs> It's fucking, it's hard, you know, and I really wanted to win for him today, but I'm sorry. What else got? Jonathan, uh, you have literally smashed another record this weekend. Um, how was your race? It was good. Chaos in the beginning. You know, the first laps, were, I found myself you know, so far in the, the pack. And I could see Andrea at the front, and a part of me was thinking, oh, I don't, okay, patience, patience. But he was going, like, going forward, dropping the group. So there was a, some urgency and I had to start making passes and, and go. And I could see I was really fast in the last few sectors. He was very good in sector one. So step by step, I bided my time. I got there. And then I, I could see the gap was increasing. I was always getting the gap to Locatelli. Then it was Reading. And the gap was, you know, comfortable. So like I said before, they don't come like that. So it's so nice to enjoy that and, you know, ride to the pit board and, and enjoy it. But thanks to the team. You know, we made a massive setup change this weekend, really, really changed the balance of the bike. The bike was so nimble, you know, I could use less track than a lot of guys and um, put it where I wanted it. So, yeah, keep, uh, like, evolution and uh, still improving. So really good. How did it feel on your slowdown lap? Amazing. You know, amazing. And Aston's, Aston's such a special place for me. For all British riders, I think, you know, it's so close to home. It's a real atmosphere. You can hear in the background, we don't have a full capacity, but the people that are here is incredible, and I really soak that up and, and use it as fuel. Another amazing performance. Well done. Cheers, mate. Yeah, there we go. And uh, thoughts once again uh, to the family and friends of Brad Jones. Um, Scott Ridding always has been a very emotional guy. Locatelli, there's more podiums coming. Jonathan Ray. I would just say, James, he knew he had to take advantage of the fact he had data at Assen, I think, because Toprak's never raced the Yamaha at Assen before. Same goes for Scott Redding, Alex Lozer never raced the Kawasaki. Almost everybody else. I think it's only Chaz Davis and Tom Sykes who would have had previous data. In fact, no, Tom, yeah, Tom Sykes did race the BMW at Assen in 19, Chaz Davis, the Ducati. Everyone else is either new to the championship or new to their team and bike. And I guess Kawasaki and Ray have taken advantage of that this weekend. They have. And with Gerlach taking top rack out in that, champ, in that race and, and extending that lead, if Johnny and the Kawasaki team get more relaxed because of their situation, the faster they become, it mm. seems. Mm. Yes. It, you know, yeah. it yeah. just seems that the more relaxed situation they're in, the better things become. They don't, they don't lay on the laws, do they, at all. In the last six years, even with the big leads in the championship, you don't see Johnny just making a mistake because he can't. He can. 
exactly. He makes less. Yeah. So it's going to be a tough job for everybody to claw that gap back. But, you know, Top Rack is going to try his best. So I'm looking forward to seeing him try. And even today, Jonathan Ray had that incident happen right in front of him, had to back out of it, roll off the throttle. A load of riders came through. He was down to about 10th and he picked them off, didn't he? One by one. Just as he did a few years ago with the reverse grids we used to have in the last race. Champions are fast, Greg, and they also make the right decisions at the right time. Yeah. And if you can't do that, you won't be a champion. Mm. That's probably a nice note to finish on. Thanks very much, James. I will see you in, what is it, two weeks' time for the check round. Slightly different situation there. We'll have James Whittam's actually going to take Charlie's role because Charlie's going to be on holiday with his lovely two sons, Tommy and Joey. So uh, enjoy that one, Charles. We'll be in the commentary box, of course, and Whit will be down on the ground doing the grid walks and the interviews. I'm very much looking forward to it. What, I don't know what to expect from Moss. It's great that we don't know what to expect. It's a great team you've got here at Eurosport. You know, you've got Whittam, uh, you know, you've got Barry Nutley and Jack Burnicle, right? I mean, Legend. That, that is the whole history of motorcycle racing that we know about. I've yeah. got experience yeah, of. Yeah, so true. That you know, is. from the 60s, 70s, 60s when it originated to the 70s, 80s, you know, with Whittam on the 80s and 90s, and me in the noughties with James Hayden and James Whittam, you know, Shaky Burn now with the BSB World Superbikes with myself. Eurosport, I've got a really strong team of telling you what went on in every mm. single uh, journey of this amazing sport. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great to have you with us. And uh, it's always a good laugh along the way as well. And there's respect, isn't there, in the Eurosport team. We're not just saying this, are we, to blow our own trumpets. But, you know, any job anyone's in, it makes a difference if you get on with your colleagues, doesn't it? It does, mate. But, you know, you're growing me. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, actually, what about the incident? Should we tell everyone about the incident earlier on? When I don't think it was I funny I knew enough. it was a wind-up. I'm not sure if it'd be funny enough on audio. <laughs> what we'll do... There's been an incident, depending on the reaction we get to me mentioning this incident, we'll tell you what it was yeah, well, in the next podcast we do together suspense. a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, they try, basically all I'm going to say is this, they tried to set me up and they failed. <laughs> I knew what was going on. <laughs> James, thanks for everything. I'll Pleasure see you in a couple of weeks' time. The podcast will be back next Monday and I don't know who I'll be with. Maybe I'll try and do another one of those pit lane walkabouts in BSB from Thruxton in Hampshire. JT, thanks for everything. It was a pleasure. All the best, everybody. See you soon.